So, protection. It's something we all are thinking about here in America. I, I was thinking about this sermon this week as God had given me this passage to share in my uh, last two sermons here in the church. And as we seek to lift Christ on high, that people would be connected. This message talks a lot about what it means to make sure that the church is protected from unrighteous or ungodly spiritual influence. And I was thinking about protection because we have a security system in our house. We have Ring that you see on TV where you have like little cameras, little doorbell. We actually have it here, the commercial version of it here at the church uh, as well. And the Ring app is fun uh, because I get these notifications all the time from my neighbors in the Monroe Falls area. And they're always something like this. And if you're on any of the community social media pages, you probably see this. I just heard a loud boom somewhere in the vicinity of blank street. There was a suspicious car driving up and down my street. I investigated and found out it was a student driver driving slowly so they did not hit people. I saw a dog, it was in my yard, and then it left. It's normally what happens with dogs when they come in your yard. If it's not your dog, hopefully at some point it leaves your yard. I'm always amazed though, that regardless of what's going on in our lives and in our world, we constantly are asking this question, are we safe? I, I've preached and talked about this before. If you've ever studied psychology or human relationships or sociology, you understand this Abraham Maslow, the, the great thinker on this, came up with Maslow's need hierarchy. It was a pyramid, and at the top of it, the number one need of human beings is safety and security. Emotionally, relationally, uh, physically. And whether we recognize it or not, this all comes from our need to feel safe and secure spiritually. What does it mean for us to be safe and secure, anchored in the Lord spiritually? That's what we're going to talk about today. As we learned last week, here in Acts 20 that we're looking at, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem and eventually Rome and as he's prayed, he feels the Spirit has made it clear to him that he is going to face suffering, persecution, persecution, chains, and potentially even death. As we've looked at uh, the book of James, we understand James was talking about a church that dealt with persecution just before this. And early on in the church, we know that Peter, who we'll also see talked about briefly here, is someone who faced persecution. And the church around the world faces concerns about its well-being, not just spiritually and emotionally, relationally, but also physically. Christians are being martyred around the world at rates never before seen. It's something our media doesn't talk about. The church is under attack in the Middle East and in the Far East. Countries like China carrying off Christians all the time, and yet inexplicably our media doesn't cover it. But the church facing pain and uncertainty is nothing new. It's the history of the church throughout the ages around the world, and yet this anxiety and this uncertainty about the future for us as the corporate body of Christ, it's something new for us here in America. It's something new. But as I said, in Paul's day, this is the reality they lived with every day. For Christians around the world, 
even in 2020, it's the reality they live with every day. So today, we're going to ask this question and seek to answer it. How are we to safeguard the future of the church and biblical faith in Jesus Christ in these uncertain times? The true faith of God, the biblical faith of God, the faith, the word of God, the scriptures, properly proclaimed in their entirety for what they say. Salvation for all people, a call to holiness in all of our relationships in accordance to what God's word teaches and teaches in its entirety. There's lots of people that like to argue today, well, if you really obeyed the word of God, you wouldn't eat shellfish. And they say things like that. I'm like, well, no, but that's not what it says in the, later on when we have Cornelius' Cornelius's house with Peter. People love to twist scripture and try to make us think that God's word does not teach a consistent and cogent way that we ought to live. In this time, in this world, in this culture, where submitting to the rule of Almighty God seems so far from acceptable, adhering to biblical principles for our relationships, for life, for family, for marriage and sexuality, for so many things, where adhering to the Word of God is unpopular. Even just the fact that we don't support having a sexual relationship before marriage, let alone all the other things that have become controversial in our world. How do we stand by and stand upon the Word of God? Paul has some answers for us today as we go to Acts chapter 20. And we must remember that in this time of uncertainty, God has always ruled over the affairs of His people with sovereign grace. He holds up the church, regardless of what we think of political or social or whatever conventions. God is above and apart from all of that. And that's why we don't talk about that kind of stuff in some active way and advocate for that. We talk about moral, spiritual, and relational life issues here at So Presbyterian Church. That's what we're about because that's what God's Word tells us we are to do. We're to be citizens of the kingdom of God first and foremost. So how do we live as those people? How do we hold on to God's word? Knowing that nothing we face is outside of God's power, that God's spirit is with us. How do we do that today? Last week, we ended our message noting that nothing is wasted with God, that even uncertain and difficult times can be used to grow and strengthen and to sharpen the focus of the church of Jesus Christ. And we believe that's true. And that's what Paul was telling us. So today, we're going to see that God will not waste this time, nor these experiences, nor our wrestling with these important questions of how to be God's people and how to live for God in times such as these. So let's open up to Acts chapter 20 and learn how God in His power and love calls us into a new role, not just as proclaimers of the truth, the truth of God's word in action, but also as protectors, guardians of the truth. Acts 20 starting in verse 28 through 31. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. So this is God's 
holy word. And Paul here, as we see clearly, is addressing again the leaders of the church of Ephesus, and he's relaying his thoughts and vision and direction, core values, as we talked about last week, to the church, namely the practice of living and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's important here that we pause and we note that God does not choose leaders in the same way we choose leaders. God certainly does. He's sovereign. He does choose leaders, but he doesn't do it the way that we choose leaders. God does not choose leaders the way we choose leaders. He doesn't. He has a completely different way of doing that. And if you've ever looked at God's word, this is nothing new. Think about uh, 1 Samuel 9. Israel had been ruled by what we would call theocracy. God was directly ruling over them. That's the way God intended to be in the Garden of Eden. He sought to rule over them, but as sinful people, they said, now, nah, God, we want, we want a leader like everyone else. And they had their own process and their own values by which they chose leadership. And they had kind of the Mr. Israel competition. And after a very fierce swimsuit round, they chose Saul. That's a joke. They didn't actually have a swimsuit round. I'm not serious about that, just so you know. But they chose Saul. And we learn in God's word, they chose Saul because of who he was, his height, his handsome appearance. Basically, Saul was tall, dark, and handsome. He was quite a stud muffin, and that's why he was chosen to be the new leader of Israel. And if you've read farther in God's word, you understand everything after that was a disaster. But knowing in the back of our minds here that who God chooses to use in the life of the church is not always who the world chooses to use, the disciples. Even later, when Saul's replacement is chosen in David. Even Samuel, who's involved in this first process, he's looking at all these different sons of Jesse, and he's sure he knows which one. And finally, after God says, no, not that one, he says, do you have anybody else? He's like, you got the little one, but he's out there doing the, the grunt work. And of course, that's David. And yet even David, we learn in God's word, is far from a perfect man. His heart's after God, but yet he gets caught in sin and Adultery, and he struggles in his own life because none of us have it all together. We're broken people, and yet God chooses to use us. And even in that process, as God is using us, he doesn't judge us and guide us into roles of leadership in the church based on the same paradigms that we would choose leaders in our world. It doesn't matter if you're a leader in the church or if you're a leader in your community or in an organization or just in your home. Maybe you're a parent or grandparents or you're a spouse and you, you and your husband or wife want to just be good parents or good grandparents or you just, you're going to start a family and you want to make sure you get together and you, you want to make sure that you do it all the right way. We want to have our lives be right before God. And God chooses leaders different than what we choose leaders. He does. So God does not choose leaders the way that we choose them. And so in reality, God chooses leaders according to heart attitudes. That's what we saw with David in the Bible. Proverbs 4.32 puts it this way. Guard your hearts above all else, for it is the source, not a source, but the source of life. So since God doesn't choose leaders that way, he chooses them in a very, very different way. Even in our denomination, the EPC, 
we seek to be leaders according to what God's word teaches because we're aware that sin can even mess up the most important of relationships, whether it's marriages or whether it's families, but let alone one's a spiritual leadership. None of us are perfect. There's a, as we talked about last week, a certain amount of humility that goes into leading well in your family, in your business, in your neighborhood, in your community, recognizing your own brokenness and your own sinfulness. That's why we ask the questions we ask of our elders and our deacons and also uh, as pastors, when, when you find the, the next person who's to lead this church and they'll have an installation service, we didn't get to have one of those because of the church not being in the EPC. None of those really happened in my time here. But when you find the next pastor of the church, you'll have an installation service. And interestingly, they'll be asked pretty much the same questions, uh, bar one, I think, different, from what our ruling elders have answered. And it has these questions like, are you willing to live a life of exemplary piety, faithfulness, humility, even brokenness? Standing on the word of God makes us aware and cognizant, if we know God's word, of the ways our world and our culture are not aligned with God's word. But it should also draw us to see the ways that we are not aligned with God's word. That we're broken and, sinf and sinful human beings. For all of us to seek God, whether you're an elder in this church or whether you've just become a part of this church, there's a calling for all of us that we should guard our hearts. It starts with us to keep the church of Jesus Christ pure and aligned with the heart of God. And I'm calling on each one of you, as Paul is telling the church here, to make sure that you understand that the world is in struggle, but that struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual forces from without and from within. We're all born into sin. And the source of righteousness is not found, as we were even talking about this morning before the service, in the political machinations of the world around us. So much anxiety or so much euphoria, depending on who wins or who loses this election. And I'm not trying to downplay that elections matter. They do. But where is your hope? Is your hope in something greater than the world around us? Is it in something greater. Another way of putting it is the way that God puts it to the church at Ephesus. Those very elders that Paul is encouraging here, the Ephesian elders, later on in the book of Revelation, Revelation 2, 4, and 5, God judges the church at Ephesus and he says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. That's the church at Ephesus. Later on, we see that John in his vision of the Revelation God is judging the different churches. He says to the church at Ephesus, you have abandoned your first love. So for each of us, as you're considering your heart in humility and piety, as you are questioning what it means, what is your first love for you? Because you are the church. Each one of us, we are part of the church of Jesus Christ. Church, what is your first love? What is it? Has some other handsome, comfortable thing begun to slip by the defenses of what is true, right, and good? Not according to how you feel. Not according to what meets your little political things or your little sociological things because all of those should be descending from, as a Christian, you're a citizen of God's kingdom first. 
in accordance to God's holy word. The purity of the church is determined by the people of God being committed to God's holy word. When people say, I don't know how I feel about that, I always want to say something that I'm going to say to you today. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. What matters is, what does God's word say? Sometimes that hurts because when I consider it, I find out that I'm out of line with God's word. And here we see clearly, as Paul is guiding the elders here in verse 28, what does he say to them? He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. But he starts with, for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Be on guard, not just for the flock, for you if you're a leader in this church, or for you if you're a leader in your home, or for, for you if you should be a leader in your neighborhood, or in your family, or in your marriage, whether you're the husband, or whether you're the wife, or whether you should be caring for, nurturing, and providing for each other. Be on guard. First and foremost, the most important thing as we've talked about is your relationship with God. Not your marriage, not your family, not your job, not your status. Guarding your heart, making sure that you're in a right relationship with God. The Holy Spirit will guide you into opportunities to lead, whether it's in the church or in the world or around you. Paul recognizes this. Be on guard. Now, this idea, this word on guard is an interesting one. Now, if, you are part, if you've ever done any kind of combat sport, maybe you've done fencing. I don't know. Maybe you've done... I've done a lot of martial arts and mixed martial arts. And uh, in, in any of the Japanese martial arts that I've studied, uh, Aikido, uh, Judo, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, oftentimes they start with either hai or hajime is the word that they will say. Hajime basically means the beginning in Japanese. And when they say hajime, you have to be ready to grapple. And Judo in particular, which I took for a long time, and Judo is a grappling sport. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu actually descends from Judo, which I've done as well. It's a, a grappling, or it's called rolling, because you're often rolling around on the ground. And in BJJ, it's the same thing, but you're fighting with every ounce you have within you to get the upper hand and to pin your opponent. It's, it's really hard, actually. Martial arts is fun. Aikido and other things where you're kicking and punching and things, or fighting and flipping. It's, those are fun, too. In judo, you do some of that. No punching, but a lot of flipping. It's kind of fun. But this the idea of being on guard. Begin to battle. Begin to grapple. Be ready. Struggling with the sin around us, but also you're grappling and struggling with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the sin within us. Whether you're a leader in this church or whether you're just a member of this church or just a, a participant, part of this church family, we have to recognize there's an active element for each of us, relentless effort. You're always at work spiritually seeking God and we know God through his spirit, but according to his word. When Christians say, I wish I knew what God wanted, have you gone to his word? What will anchor this church in the days and years to come is not what pastors come or go. Those can help you, those can hurt you, that's for sure. And you should prayerfully consider all of that. But whether this church as individual members will pray and seek God, listen to God, and seek to know and live the word of God will determine the future of this church. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you like, what style of music you do or don't like, or whether you like the color of this room being painted, this or that. 
None of that matters, but if you are on guard, actively seeking God's will in your life and seeking to be accountable to God for your own brokenness, that spiritual health, that relentless work to be right before God, to know God and to surrender to God and to live in God and let him heal you will determine the well-being of this church. And whether you're a ruling elder here at this church, and that's who Paul's talking here to, are the leaders, or whether you're just a member of this church, but especially for our leaders, I'm so thankful for them and grateful for them as how they, for how they've cared, again, how they reach out to you guys and their shepherding groups as the family of God. They've done exactly what the Lord desires in doing that as spiritual leaders, because they're saying, hey, I'm going to care about you, and I'm going to seek to protect and care for the flock of God, to be a part of God's people. I'm so thankful for them. They've been so kind and wonderful to Manny and I through this process of we've announced God calling us into a new ministry because they've sought to be like Christ. They've sought to be like Christ in terms of how they have lived and what they have done. And I'm so thankful for them and what they've done with this. And I know you're thankful for them as well. So being a part of that flock of God, recognizing that they are sacrificial leaders, just as Christ was sacrificial, and that's what Paul's talking about here, purchased with his own blood. Those under-shepherds of the church are session. I want to invite you to, to be a part of what God is calling you to do to support them as the church during this time. That's what Paul's reminding the elders of their job and the church of their job here and so as we go through this this morning, I want to invite you to be a part of what God is calling us to do to be his people. But first of all, let's recognize again, what this is about is the goal of God's family and God's church, God's leadership, God's people, all of us, is to nourish the soul. To nourish the soul. That's what we're talking about here. The job here is to nourish the soul. Nourishing the soul is what this is all about. And the word here used in verse 28, this idea here is this word poimenon is the word there in the Greek. That's the fancy word you see there, poimenon. And this is the idea of a care of a shepherd who nourishes his sheep. And that's feeding the sheep, for sure, spiritually providing for the, the, the sheep, providing for them physically, taking care of also the physical needs of the church. Our deacons do that with our elders, but they oversee the other needs of the church. We have to keep the lights on, keep the ministry going. But all the practical things, everything we have are vehicles for the spiritual work of the church. That's what it's about. That's what we exist to do is to share the gospel as we talked about last week. But the idea here of feeding and nourishing the sheep, this is the same phrase used in John 21 where Jesus restores Peter after he has denied Jesus three times. He says, hey, Peter, feed my sheep. Poi me non, feed my sheep. He's saying to them, Jesus is saying to the church, he's saying to those leaders, your job is to provide not just spiritual food, and that's what I try to do as a teaching elder, and our, our elders also have spiritual roles as well, and they've led and preached, and they, they lead Bible studies and groups, and that's great, but also to provide the safety and space in which the church can flourish and grow. Everything they do is to work to provide a place where Jesus Christ can be lifted on high and the word of God in its fullness can be proclaimed to change lives. To call us to living right before God, holy living. It doesn't mean we're going to get it all right. We're sinful people, as we've talked about. But there's basically three G's that go with this that our elders are responsible for. And I, I, again, I'm encouraging them. I'm so proud I'm lifting them up. And that those three G's are guiding, growing, 
in guarding. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Basically, the three G's that the church is about, guiding, growing, and guarding. And this is basically the idea, and this will sound a little silly, but as you pray for your elders, and I want you to pray for them, as you encourage them, as they live those lives of sacrificial servant leaders, the blood of Christ that Paul has already talked about, I kind of think of them as the idea of being a sheepdog, and this may sound like I'm being silly, but I'm not, I mean this with the utmost respect. Being a sheepdog is a hard thing. Because you have the shepherd, and if you know anything about shepherding, I know all of you here in Stowe and suburbia are expert shepherds, all of you. I know you are, but they have assistants often with them, sheepdogs. And the sheepdogs herd the sheep around because, as we know, and we've talked about here, as spiritual people and sinful people, we have that brokenness within, too. We're kind of dumb sometimes, myself included. Your elders will make mistakes. Your pastor makes plenty of mistakes. Some of you may have a list. If you want to email that to me uh, in my waning days here, that's fine. Uh, But I love all of you, and I, I love our elders because they have the important thing. The great shepherd, the good shepherd is not the pastor. It's God himself as Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He describes himself that way. So as good sheep, obedient sheep, as they love and sacrifice... I want you to listen to your under-shepherds. Listen to your elders as they are sheepdogs for the kingdom. Pray for them. Encourage them because sheepdogs are loyal. They're sacrificial for the kingdom and for the Lord. And part of what makes our elders, our session so effective is that they understand what it means to protect God's people. And they understand what they're facing as spiritual leaders. That's why it's a spiritual leadership position. Because, you see, sheep, they understand what they're facing. They're facing wolves. And we all know the old phrase and the old story, the old kid's story you've heard. You don't want to have a wolf in sheep's clothing. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But sheepdogs understand who they are and what it means to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, maybe you've seen that dog food commercial. That dog food commercial where it reminds you that dogs and wolves are kind of similar animals. They're, you know, dogs and wolves are kind of similar. They've got fangs, they've got fur, they've got claws. So we have this dog at our house that's about eight months old, Cooper. And so this is Cooper in one picture, and this is Cooper on the other picture. Doesn't he look sweet in the one picture and cute and cuddly? Now, he's a little boy, and he's, like I said, seven, eight months old. This is what usually happens if Cooper doesn't get enough exercise. Cooper decides he wants to see if he can be a wolf and try to gnaw the flesh off of my body. And I end up battling him while instead of all the wonderful chew toys that we've gotten for him, he decides that I am his chew toy. He likes to make me his chew toy for whatever reason. And he looks so cute. My arm is the prey, lucky me. That's what he goes after. And so while we have our Sheep and our sheepdogs, whose desire is to follow the voice of the good shepherd, and the sheepdogs are to help herd and lead the sheep towards the good shepherd, and that's what our our elders of session, there are sometimes wolves that can sneak in, and they look like sheep, and they'll try to move along the flock, but while they may look cute and cuddly and sweet for a moment, because of the sin around us and the sin within us, they might not be right before God. And Paul was warning the church about this. He says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. 
Now, for the capital C church, this is something we've seen in the world around us. We've seen this happen. We've seen this happen. While there are the, shepherd, the good shepherd, there's God, there's the, the, the under-shepherds or the sheepdog that are leading the sheep towards following the good shepherd, hearing his voice, praying to God, seeking the Spirit, knowing the Word, being obedient, being anchored. That's how the church stays healthy and grows. There will always be those that will try to come in and lead the church their own direction. And if they were that easy to spot, we wouldn't see so many stories in the news of churches and church leaders falling off their pedestals. Another celebrity pastor in the news this week, same thing. We have to remember that there's sin around us, there's sin within us, and we have to be right before God. Paul's warning the church in Ephesus not to lose its first love, which unfortunately we read that they struggled with later in the book of Revelation. And he's warning them what the mechanism will be about, what, it, what will happen when they seek to live by their first love, is that they can have someone whose heart is not dedicated to God, who comes in with something other than God's word, and he tricks people, seduces people, into obeying that. There's something about that church that we need to guard against. Leaders come, leaders go. What is your first love? Will each of you stay anchored and know and live the word of God? Because if you do so, this church will grow and prosper and whether it's the church in the country around us or even our congregation here, if for whatever reason at some point someone seeks to teach something that is not the gospel, it might even be warm and fuzzy, it might even feel nice and make you feel all tingly inside, but if it's not in accordance with God's word, it's not what the flock is here to do because the flock is here to follow the voice of the good shepherd and the sheepdogs, the leaders, the under-shepherds are here to lead the sheep and to move the sheep towards the good shepherd. You don't want to do that. So first and foremost, I want to invite you to pray for our community and our congregation. Pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders in our world right now. With all the uncertainty in the world around us, pray not for what you desire, but for what God desires. And even if you're not sure what that is, pray that God would show you through his word and through his spirit what he desires. Because I can tell you this much, what God desires, what he leads you to, will never go against what his word clearly teaches. If people say, well, God's telling me to do this, and I'll say, well, what about, what about God's word here? Well, I, I don't know about that. Well, then what you are seeking to do is not in line with God's word. It is something you're being led astray by uh, the wolves. Don't do that. Pray. Ask God to guide you. Ask him to be with you, to guide you in all of this. Verse 31 says, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stop warning each of you with tears because what Paul's warning about here is what happens is that he says, please, please pray and seek God. And so today I'm saying the same thing to you. I'm saying the same thing to you. I'm pleading with you to stay anchored in the word of God. Stay rooted in what God clearly teaches because there will be people that say all the right things and do all the right things, but if they're not seeking and preaching and living the word of God, they're wolves. Pray. Ephesians 
1, 15 through 19 is the model of prayer I have prayed and I will continue to pray for each of you here at Stowe Presbyterian Church. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you. As I remember you in my prayers, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. As your elders are guiding you and, and, and guarding you as they're doing all these things, as they're seeking to grow the church and to lift it up, pray for them and pray that God would enlighten your heart in your life. And as you're praying and as you're doing that, I want to call you to trust and to submit to your leaders, to your session. 1 Peter 5, 5 says this way, in the same way, you who are younger, and this is a spiritual sense as well, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with, there it is again, humility, towards one another, for leaders and for the church, towards one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is important for us as leaders to remember that. As your elders are leading and guiding and being their sheepdog for the church, as they're being as under shepherds, as God is seeking, as you're seeking God, don't go in hot if something is going a different way in the life of the church and assume your elders don't know what's going on or don't know what they're doing. If you have a concern, if you notice something, if you want to understand, go to them assuming the best, your church staff, your church leaders, your transitional pastor, uh, when the Lord leads you, the new pastor of this church, go in assuming the best. Assuming that that person's heart and life is in the right place. Don't go in assuming that they have no idea what they're doing and have no intentions of why they're doing it. Go in trusting, praying, caring, and submitting all this to God. Understand that they have a position of authority and God has put them there in a reason, that they're trying to lead you towards the good shepherd. Trust in them, submit to your leaders. Assuming that they know what's happening. I recommend maybe this week, if you're looking, read 1 Peter 5, 1 through 10, where Peter offers his final remarks because... It's striking how much they line up with what Paul came up with as well. Even though Paul and Peter didn't always see eye to eye, if you know the Bible at all, they really did align in heart and in spirit because the same God is guiding them. Trust your ruling elders, trust your staff, trust your volunteers as we had thankfulness Sunday. I'm so thankful for the people that give so much of themselves, again, sacrificially because of the gospel. Trust them and be among them. In verse 31 sums all of this up and all of what I'm trying to say here in these final messages. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. I'm so thankful for each one of you as the Church of Jesus Christ, and I want to thank you. I want to thank our leaders, our volunteers, our staff, our, our elders, those who are resting elders and those that are currently our ruling elders for all of their work, for this church, for this is 
the church of Jesus Christ. It's his church, but all of you make it up. And I'm thankful for all of you and for what you have done, what you continue to do, and what I know you will continue to do to stay anchored in God's word, to seek, to hear the voice of the good shepherd through prayer, through submitting, through seeking to know and to live the word of God. And know that like Paul was expressing to those elders in Ephesians today, that I, I love all of you. And I'm so thankful for all of you. And I hope you'll pray for us, for uh, well-being, for, for me in particular as I'm going off and, and going to be far away, and, and for my family. And know that I will continually praying for, continue to pray for you. And I deeply desire that God's blessing would richly fall upon this church for so many years to come. Until Christ comes again, that this church would be lifted up and strengthened. And that it would be the church that Christ desires it to be. So friends, guard your hearts. Seek God first. Love and encourage one another, particularly your leaders during this time. Love your volunteer and your staff leaders as well during the midst of this transition. And love your transitional pastor when they arrive. And give he or she your trust and encouragement because God has great plans here. And he will waste nothing during even this time. And he will reveal himself even further to all of you. Have a heart that is alert, but one that is broken and humbled, contrite before God, seeking to know and to serve him and each other. Because I know that God is going to do amazing things and expect him to do great things through you here in this church family, in this place, and in the world around us outside these walls in the community that we would make a difference to love and to serve those around us. Let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning for each one of us that you would guide us, that you would use us, that you would transform us to be more your people today. God, that you would guard our hearts, our minds, and our lives in accordance to your word that you would anchor us by your spirit, that we would seek to work with one heart and mind, that this church would grow in unity and grace together, that the people here would trust their leaders. And I pray for those under-shepherds, for those elders, the ruling elders and the staff, and, and those who as sheepdog will put themselves into the fray and even put themselves in, in harm's way at times, that they will guard the flock from Anything, anything that's a savage wolf that seeks to take the church off course and towards danger and destruction. So God, I pray in your sovereign grace and in your mercy, by the power of your Holy Spirit, for protection over this church family, for unity. That no danger would come from without or within that would hold the church together, God. That they would be anchored in you in obedience to your word. That they would be aware and submitted to the grace of Jesus Christ, and that they be covered by the blood of Christ, as we talked about even at the beginning today, that they would be dedicated to the gospel message. God, watch over them, guide them, strengthen them, defend and protect and grow and raise up your people, God, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.